If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy what, 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 what up? That's right. Welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. You, my friends, have shown up at just the right time to catch the final episode of our Clobber Passages series. My name is Keith Giles. I'm not sure why you're happy. If it's because it's the last episode or because I'm Keith Giles. But either way, thank you for cheering, children. Have a seat in the corner. Uh, my name is Keith Giles. I'm uh, one of your co-hosts. I'm also the author of several books in the Jesus Un series, the most recent one, Jesus Un Forsaken, Substituting Divine Wrath with Unrelenting Love, releasing March 20, what is it, 23rd, 23rd? Yes, coming out March 23rd, so excited uh, to share that with you guys, and I especially want my co-hosts to introduce themselves and say hi so we can get this show on the road. Hi, everyone. This is Katie Valentine. I'm, I'm happy to be here in this final series. And we're talking about one of my favorite topics. I'll save it and let you all discover what that is. This is going to be really fun. Cool. I'm Derek Day, author of Deconstructing Religion and host of the Forward Podcast, in addition to this one. And I'm excited about this clobber passage because I want to get metaphysical. Yeah, baby. <laughs> and I am Matthew DiStefano, and I have, is it okay if I have an announcement? Uh, I have, I, I have, yeah, I have an announcement. Yeah, is that okay? Okay, but you know, we already know about the hotline, right? I know. Well, and that that was Jamal's shtick. That was his thing. Who? I have a real announcement about? this time. Who's this? Old man Giles. Um, so guess what, everyone? We are so foolish over here and choir is so foolish that they are lowering the cost of their ebooks their kindle books to 99 cents for the entire month of april and i just want to tell everyone about that Fucking day. and this isn't new this is no big this is not exciting for me because my books are already 99 cents for the most part worth every penny to worth, keith giles worth every penny worth every penny but everyone else's are being lowered to 99. I've set I've set the standard so low that we are we are lowering those prices to 99 cents for the entire month of April. So we will make sure to stick a link in the show notes. Click on there, buy all the books, buy as many as you want. You won't you won't spend that much money. So uh, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to wrap up this uh, clobber passage series as well. It's clobbering time. That's the last time I'll get to hear you say that. I'm so sad. So sad. Shed a tear. I think the clobber passages are not dying anytime soon. Well, yeah, that's around. God damn it. <laughs> so we have a hotline. And if you want to reach the heretic happy hour on the hotline, exercise finger dexterity and dial 240-343-7379. Once again, 240-343-7379. And we have a voicemail. Let it rip. Hi, Heretics. My name is Gordon. I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. I have a question for you, but let me just first heap a bit of praise on you for. I discovered your podcast earlier this summer, and I have been absolutely hooked. The content that you're putting out is so helpful, engaging, and fun. So let me just say that I am truly grateful for the stimulating conversations you have and for everything you do. 
to my question, the short version is, how have you dealt with fundamentalists in your life who want to save you? The longer version requires a little bit of setup. So I've probably encountered the specific label heretic less than you guys have, but the term that usually gets lobbed at me instead is cult. And that's probably because for a long time I've been part of a more modern or progressive church that espouses so-called heretical ideas. And I think when you're exploring these ideas individually, you're branded a heretic, but when you do it in community, then it's called a cult. So anyways, my girlfriend's best friend is married to a guy who is very fundamentalist. And my girlfriend's obviously very close with her best friend, and so by extension, uh, we as a couple hang out with them a bunch. And this dude is hes a totally nice guy. I like him a lot. But on social media, it's seemingly a different story. But from time to time, Facebook will just shove in my newsfeed any one of the long screeds that he writes about the dangers of all these New Age cults out there. And for the last year or so, he's really seemed to hone in on the particular church that I'm involved with. And as far as I know, I am literally the only member of this church that he has ever met. So even though they aren't, the, the posts aren't addressed to me and he doesn't tag me in them, it just, it feels personal. And it kind of reminds me of that famous saying of Jesus, you know, something like, uh, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you post passive-aggressive rants about each other on social media. Uh, all joking aside, my usual response is just to ignore it and don't bring it up. But I'm wondering if there are more productive ways to engage with folks like this. And I suspect you guys have encountered similar scenarios. So I was just wondering if you had any wisdom or experience to share. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, well, no, I think all of us can relate to your, we feel your pain, man. Um, and I'm curious to hear what, how everybody else would suggest or advice in, in that situation. I guess, I guess what I would say is it, it sounds like this is a guy, you like this guy and you hang out a lot. And so as a couple, like if you two couples kind of hanging out and you have some, you know, uh, relationship with this person on some level, I would, if I were you, I guess what I would do is it, not online. Because obviously online is a different animal. But if, when you are face-to-face -face with this person, um, just maybe ask them, hey, are you? would you like to understand why I believe certain things? Because, you know, I, I see you post certain things and it, it seems like you don't really understand exactly where I'm coming from. And if they're interested, like, well, yeah, I guess I don't understand and maybe I would like to know why you believe this or you don't believe that. Um, I would, but see, I would clarify that first. I, wanna, I would ask him first, if he was willing to have that conversation, if he was really interested in knowing or learning. Um, he may already think he does know, but it, you know, he probably doesn't. So I don't know. I, I would probably begin just to have that conversation. And if nothing else, by having that conversation, again, you're not going to change his mind. Uh, that shouldn't be your goal necessarily, except just to let him know that you do know, you do notice that he posts certain things and that uh, maybe next time he posts something like that, he would think about you that, oh, yeah, you're reading this and this might not be very like the nicest thing that he could say or post um, just because he thinks he's got the high ground. He's right and you're wrong and all that. I don't know. Um, again, I would only do that because it's someone that, you know, and you have a relationship with them. If it's just some random guy on Facebook, I would just say whatever. Uh, let it roll. But, uh, but if you do know the person and you know that they're doing it, maybe at least attempt to have a conversation. That's just my thought. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I mean, the wisdom I can give is that if you know someone is not willing to change their mind, 
not willing to actually understand where you're coming from, then I don't, I think a boundary can be set that, hey, we're not going to talk about this because it's not going to help. It's not going to help in any sort of way, shape or form. I would ask the person, if you're close enough to them to ask this and you're comfortable enough asking this, if when they accuse you of being in a cult, ask them, are they, are they using that as like a pejorative, as a put down, or are they really concerned? And if they're really concerned, then explain to them what a cult is and why you're not in one. Because, you know, this, this, whole, this sort of heretical land that we're in, there's no leader, no one's getting our money, and we're not pledging allegiance to any sort of whatever. So it's, it's ironic that we then get called cult members. And if they're just using it as a pejorative, you, I mean, I'd go the personal route and be like, are you trying to hurt my feelings? I thought we were close. I thought we were cool. Like, do you want to actually talk about this or do you just want to throw out ad hominems and, 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 and what's the deal here? Um, but like he said, like for most people who say this kind of stuff, it's literally, unless I'm feeling snarky and I just want to get into it and, and, and with someone, I just like, you know, block and move on. Ta-ta. Yeah. On Facebook, there's a wonderful feature where you can snooze people. And there's several people I snooze every 30 days. <laughs> I snooze them for 30 days. And then my relationship with them is in person, not online, because people use online to say all sorts of stuff that they um, may not say to your face. Um, I love all the advice, the kind of boundary advice and um, everything that's been given already. You know, I get asked quite frequently if I'm leading a cult. And I always laugh. I'm like, I don't have the time or energy. I want my free time to be my free time. I don't want to spend it like molding, molding new cult members. Um, and then I was just, you know, I was told today I need to repent and someone rebuked me in the name of Jesus and all that. So yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I get it all. Um, so I think my, just to kind of add to the, add to the course here, I don't talk to anyone online in person if they or I are in flight, fight or freeze mode. When we're in that mode, when we're when we're just angry, when we're you know anything like that, your your voicemail didn't sound like you were, but I can imagine that feeling. Um, or if the other person is, like if they're just out to convince you, they're they're probably in fight mode, and their their part, their their compassionate part of themselves, absolutely cannot be accessed. So I say bring neuroscience into this. Whatever you can say to diffuse the situation, redirect, speak your mind. Um, but the part that really stood out to me was you're you're kind of having this doormat feeling, and that is not a fun feeling. So whatever you can do to express your truth in your way, and it doesn't have to be to him. It can just be expressing your truth in any way, you know, Facebook, in per- whatever, um, about what, what motivates you, what about your spirituality is important. Let those chips fall where they may. I wish I could give you a way to convince him, because if I, if I could, I'd write that book. Well, you guys have all taken the nice approach. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna step in here and 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 be the be the resident asshole because it's a tough job. Somebody's got to do it. You got you got to just write him a diss write a diss track, right? And and, and man, I'm, I'm I'm disappointed, man. You came you came across as so fucking nice, but anyway, <laughs> uh, here here's here's the deal. I have people who I have relationships with outside of social media who don't like what I say, don't like what I post. And here's my ground rules. If you don't like what I say, block me, delete me. That's fine. I'm a big boy. It doesn't bother me one bit. But if you're going to take a run at me, then you prepare to meet the Kraken because I'm about to unleash that motherfucker. Okay. So my thing is, if if you're dealing if this if this is a guy that's a nice guy you guys get along 
And you say, listen, man, I noticed that you posted something on social media. I just want to make sure that you're not taking a run at me. Because if you are, and, and I tell the people that I, ha- I set this boundary, listen, we get together, we can talk about cars, we can talk about sports, we can talk about drinks, cigars, whatever, right? But there are two things that are off limits, and it's typically these two things, religion and politics. Those are the things that we won't discuss. So if you, if you have something that you want to say, go ahead. And I say this all the time, and I'm going to say this and I'll shut up, that if you have a problem with me, give me a call and let's discuss it. But if you don't have my number, you don't know me well enough to have a fucking problem with me. I think I that's, all, that. that's always brilliant advice. Dude, if that isn't a t-shirt or a magnet or a coffee mug or something, like that, that is so great. What, what is the line? If you don't know me well enough to, to give me a call, if you have a problem with me, yeah. if you don't know my number, you don't know me well enough to have a problem with me. That's great. Bingo. That's it. it. There that's it is. It. I love it. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. That's beautiful. I love it. So you have all these different perspectives of choices that you can make when dealing with uh, people who think that you're in a cult. So maybe you could just give them an episode of the podcast. There to you go. To. Yeah. That might sound right better. there is the best so, advice. We cool. should just say, you know, just say, you know what? Go to the Heretic Apiar. Listen to episode 99. It's all for you, buddy. <laughs> exactly. It's all about you, brother. Oh, it's all, it's all about, about you. you. All this wisdom available your fingertips. With love. <laughs> Exactly. Um, Well, so we have just the most interesting, fabulous heretic of the week, um, taking a different approach to religion and spirituality. So I think you're going to love this conversation with the friendly atheist. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, I'm Hemant Mehta, and I'm a heretic. Hi. Well, we are undoubtedly very excited to have you here. Um, thank you. That no, was the I'll... appropriate response, the, the unenthusiastic <laughs> hello. Yes, yes. Well, actually, to be honest, I think our, our listeners are very excited to, uh, to, to hear you on the show, and we are too. Don't let the introduction um, dissuade you. What we like to ask our first guests, uh, our, our, our first question for our guests is, why would anyone consider you a heretic? Sure. So for the past 15 years, give or take, I've been talking about or writing about religion and why I'm an atheist and why people should leave religion. And even if I don't do that directly, it's not like I necessarily spend all my time trying to counter apologetics or debate. It's more like, here's all the ways religion hurts us. And so, you know, if you're religious, I can understand why you might not be a fan. <laughs> right. So I'm curious, Hemet, on your story. Like, did, have you always been an atheist? Did you become one? Um, and then, like, what was the... Yeah, I... Was there, like, some major thing that pushed you over the edge, or was this, like, a slow descent? It wasn't one big thing, but I did change. I did... I was raised religious, and I became an atheist, um, primarily because once I, I was raised in a different religion, it's called Jainism, smaller Indian oh. religion, but yeah. same supernatural beliefs about heaven and hell and karma and reincarnation. And when I finally started questioning those things, I realized I don't think I believe in any of this supernatural stuff. And that kind of l- 
helped me leap away from religion altogether. Like there was no need to go explore other religions because ultimately they all came down to the same flawed logic. And so that's it. I became an atheist um, pretty young. And then once I got into college and I had the ability to start meeting other atheists and seeing what activists were doing with that, it's like, oh, yeah, this is my niche. I like this. (laughs) Wait, so are you saying that there's toxicity outside of Christianity and other religions? Oh, there there might be. Yes. And and that's not to say there isn't toxicity within organized atheism, too. But the type, I mean, to me, the obvious flaws of religion and organized religion in the way it teaches people to think, the way it teaches people to rely on something they have no control over and then be satisfied with that answer. uh, It just seemed to me like such an obvious problem as opposed to all the other problems, which might take a little bit of work to explain. And so it just seemed like a natural thing to rail against, especially when you saw uh, how much influence it had and what the people were doing with it and how much it hurt other people. So I have a really, a really critical question here for all of our listeners, and this will help me too. An atheist, does an atheist believe in nothing or is there something that an atheist believes in? That's, that's the question. Yeah, I mean, it's different, obviously, for different atheists. But I think the one thing is we don't rely on the supernatural to believe in things. So you could believe that people are decent, people are good. You can believe in all sorts of things, but you don't have to just rely on a supernatural being to make that come true. And so, I mean, one of the things we're seeing now is you see more non-religious people in the country is that even if we are all united under this weird little umbrella of we don't believe in a higher power Mm -hmm. or at least a religious power, um, there are plenty of small schisms within that because atheists in and of themselves, like they don't agree on anything else. And Mm -hmm. so you see political splits, you see splits on culture war issues, even though we are atheists. And so, I mean, it, Being an atheist, what do you believe in? There's plenty of stuff, and we all disagree about all of it. You know, even within Christianity, you could say the same thing. There are plenty of Christians. They all believe in different things. But you would think they're kind of united under that one biblical umbrella, and even that's debatable, depending on which aspect of it we're talking about. Right. What's interesting is the the organized religion that you say, you know, you believe causes harm, and um, that... You know, you you don't want to believe you don't want to put all your trust in sort of a supernatural being that tells you what to do. I am, you know, I'm clergy and I am a believer, whatever that means. But I also don't believe in those things. Right. I only want to belong. I only want to belong to churches that actually encourage us to think for ourselves and that we are actually the hands and the feet that do the work here. Right. I'm finding this commonality really interesting. I don't know if you've seen this, too. I feel like I have a lot more in common these days with progressive Christians Mm -hmm. than they probably do with conservative Christians. Yeah, like I'm feeling that. A lot of conservative conservative Christians would agree with you that progressives are... That's that's absolutely true. And what's interesting is I've seen like atheist organizations that might not in the past have worked with those progressive religious groups. They sign on to legal briefs with them. They issue proclamations saying, here's how we feel about this big issue this is the symbolic weight we can offer the, the issue. And it's like a coalition of religious groups and atheists. 
Um, saying, look, we disagree on theology. Who cares? On this issue, we all pretty much stay united. It's really interesting. I hadn't seen that much before. I feel like I see it a lot now. Um, I have a, a quick question. When you, because I think it's it's important to define our terms when we have these discussions. When you say religion, what are you? Uh, what do you mean by that? When so when you say like uh, you know religion does harm, how right. are you defining religion? I think it's uh, the they believe in something supernatural that unites them, whether it's a certain god a certain belief that if you pray, things will get better or that prayer alone will fix problems that prayer can't solve. Um, So to me, religion is belief in the supernatural at some point. And I think that mode of thinking, um, I mean, my parents are religious. I don't think they're harmful, but also that mode of thinking can lead people to do really harmful things. Because I mean, just for example, take the pandemic. There are plenty of people who have just said like if we gather as a church we're fine or churches should have an exemption to that as if prayer or gathering because it's religious makes them immune right. i don't know that makes them like more powerful than the virus that's not how it works no. or just uh, like um like we were saying earlier you i don't i don't care if you pray and then decide to take action because you know action yeah. is what's actually going to get something done which okay i we can argue about whether you need that middle step but i think there are plenty of people who when faced with a problem will resort to prayer or god as a way of fixing it instead of taking the action they need to take and right. that has always bugged me I mean, and that's true progressive religious people too. Though again, like I'm saying, they're really less of a priority for me now in terms of things I would advocate against. Uh, I I don't think that there's a problem with, with, uh, with, uh, with the belief in the supernatural belief in the Supreme being, but I'm with you, man. Religion is bullshit. And, and, and this is what, what, what I say is that if you believe in a Supreme being, if you believe in the miraculous, if you believe in the supernatural, then good on you. That's great. But, but the thing is that what religion does is it tries to impose that way of thinking on other segments of humanity. And so I think that anything is fine to believe in as long as you don't proselytize. You know, you do what works for you. And that and that's kind of... That's interesting. I, I feel like I take a different approach on that. I actually don't care about the proselytizing so much. Because if you, if you believe in something and you want other people to believe it, it's fine. Um, obviously, I don't want to do that on, like, the taxpayer's dime. So there's a church state issue there. But proselytizing itself doesn't bother me. It's kind of the mentality. How do we approach a problem? How do we tackle a problem? And to me, if, if people believe in the supernatural, they're going to a tool in their toolbox that will not help them solve the issue. It might calm them down, but that in itself isn't going to fix the issue. So I know for a lot of atheists, it's always been let's go after that mentality because if you're thinking logically or something you can actually look to evidence for, you're more likely to come to the correct solution. That said, Again, there are plenty of atheists who claim to use all that logic and reason and end up in the totally crazy, insane places, too. So it's not that ignoring the supernatural will always work either. Yeah, it's sort of like, would everyone who believes in telekinesis please raise my hand? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, but but you were saying there like about, so would you call yourself, um, I mean... You, you have a very strong feeling against religion and, and you're pro-atheist and you do a blog and, uh, and you, you're very active in this area. So 
would you say in a way you're sort of proselytizing for atheism? I, you know what? I have thought about that. I don't think that's what I'm doing because I very much, when I'm writing stuff on my website, which is kind of the primary way I talk about these issues, I genuinely don't care if anyone is an atheist. Like the audience I have in mind, I just, I don't assume they're all atheists and I don't care if they are because I think even a lot of religious people reading about some church state separation issue or how religion has affected this current administration. I think there are a lot of people, even religious ones, who could look at that and say, yeah, I also have a problem with that. And that's kind of all I want you to take from any of those articles. It's, like I said, like, whether or not you become an atheist, I, I don't care. It doesn't, I, I'm not keeping a tally mark count behind <laughs> me. And so I don't think it's proselytizing because I genuinely don't care if anyone agrees with me on the God issue or not. I just want you to think the way I think on these other issues, and then I don't care what you believe. So I don't know. I don't know if you count that as proselytizing or just trying to persuade people about whatever it is I'm thinking, but I don't care if anyone agrees on the God thing. So Yeah. So you're not you don't earn like atheist points and you're not like uh you get a hundred Yeah, years. there's no like ranking board somewhere. Yeah. You don't have a bishop to report to, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Well, because I do know I have some friends that are atheists and they they really are very militant and, and go out of their way to uh, basically convert Christians or, or Muslims or anyone with any religion to, to yeah. be an atheist. And so you're not doing, you're not taking that attack as much as you're just trying to get people who are Christian to recognize how some of their ways of thinking yes. are um, self-defeating or um, not helpful. Yeah, I think that's accurate. There, I have friends who do a lot of those debates. I have friends who uh, like arguing that religion stuff and love to argue with Christian apologists and all that. I don't have any problem with that. That's all well and good. I, I think that's useful. I think it's good whenever people are thinking about this stuff because most people are apathetic to everything. Um, but it's not my... It's not the thing that I enjoy doing, and I don't spend much time doing it. Like, I genuinely, if someone emails me to be on a podcast where they want to debate God, I usually say no. If they want to do a debate on God's existence, in, even in front of like a crowd somewhere, I have said no to those two because it's it's just boring to me. I there's there's a value to it, but it's not fun for me because I don't care. <laughs> and I, part of me just doesn't like the debate style for that sort of thing. I would rather talk about the issues because I think there's more, it's easier to get people to agree on that sort of thing. You know, one of the things that I, I really enjoy about reading your, uh, reading your blog is that you're not really trying to nudge people into a way of thinking. You're just trying to promote thought. Right. And, and that, and that kind of parallels the way that, uh, that, that I approach this. But I have a question for you. Yeah. What what exactly what was the the pivot point that that pushed you out of religion and 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 caused you to uh, to adopt the train of thought that you embrace now? I think the easy I mean, there's there's a small factor and a big one. The small factor is my family moved at one point and that sucked because I lost all my friends. I had to go to a new place starting fresh. That is not fun when you're like entering high school. Um, but all that really did is it got me questioning God in a way I had never done before. I didn't know you were even allowed to do that. 
But then I got a chance to explore. Like what I tried to figure out the answers to those questions. I had the internet. I could ask questions online and read stuff I had never been exposed to. And I don't even remember necessarily what I was reading, but it was from like, what happens if you don't believe in God? I don't even think I knew about the word atheist that much. Or if I knew it, it sounded like a bad word, but it's like, oh, whatever these people are saying about not believing in God and why they don't believe in this stuff, that makes a lot of sense to me. And they're not even uh, referencing my religion because no one knows about my religion. The atheism perspective they're offering like just seems to make a lot of sense. And then the more I follow up on that, the more it makes sense. And so that was kind of the big thing. It's like, once I started asking these questions, everything just kind of toppled. All that religious thinking just kind of went away. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Hemet, and um, <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely yeah. curious how you would respond. So like, uh, I'm, I'm someone who uh, does believe in God and I do follow uh, Christ. It's just the teachings of Jesus I find very fascinating and helpful in very practical ways. And, um, and I am someone who believes in what is a, a, a very little-known Christian doctrine called universal reconciliation, which actually was there from the beginning, um, but it's been kind of overtaken by the eternal torment uh, crowd these days. However, my question for you is, though, I'm curious, so, because uh, in, in my view, Hemet, um, even as an atheist, even as someone who does not have any religion, does not believe in God or any follow any religious tradition, I still believe that actually— um, one day you actually will, uh, after you die, uh, come in contact with the Creator and um, and enjoy you know eternity in, in the presence of God. If that if I'm right and that happens to you, uh, what would you say? I mean, I feel like any no God should punish you for asking questions and right. trying to get to the bottom of the yeah. truth. And it's like, all right, well, now I have evidence, right? I didn't when I was looking. And I can't imagine anyone would be upset with someone who genuinely looked for that answer and didn't find it and like wasn't trying to say no on purpose, but said, all right, I'm looking for it. This is what I got. I can't find the evidence. So no, um, I just don't buy the excuse that, nope, it's all there. If you if you read the Bible, if you're genuine, if you open up your heart, like it's what do you think everyone's doing? Like, it's just silly to think people are purposely trying to say no. Like, that's just, I'm, I've, I'm around atheists a lot. That's not how they think. Right. It's like, you show me the evidence, I'll, I'll hear you. But it's just not what happens. Got it. So I have one more question for you, Himan. Um, reincarnation. Mm -hmm. Yes or no? No. Okay. That was it. Bring up my favorite topic and then just leave it. Hey, no, no, for the exact same reason that I would say about God, which is like I'm sure it's a nice idea to some people. I just I don't know why anyone believes in it when there's no reason to. Well, Hemet, you know we've had this conversation before in another life, and we will again. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, totally. So one more question. I keep saying one more question as if I'm going to ever run out of questions. But let me ask you this. Do you see a difference between atheism and antitheism? I mean, in other words, someone who just simply uh, has no, um, no core spiritual belief or, or someone who's rebelling against all spirituality. I mean, there's there's a lot of overlap there in terms of advocacy. I'm there are plenty of people who think religion does a lot of harm, so they're actively anti 
belief in that stuff. I think most atheists would say religion does more harm than good. But I will say, like, in terms of nonprofit work, charity work, what people who are atheists are doing with their lives, the more effective groups I have ever seen come from the standpoint of saying, okay, I might be an anti-theist. I might think religion is bad. But how am I going to challenge that? Because I... Everyone thinks everyone else is wrong and bad with their opinions. So what? Like, if you think religion is harmful, what are you going to do about it? And I mean, there are some atheist groups that say, well, we're going to fight in courts. We're going to fight church-state separation issues and First Amendment religious freedom issues and things like that. And they might not like religion, but that's their way of fighting it. Or something like the American Humanist Association that says, let's talk about what we do believe in. It's not Mm -hmm. enough to just say religion is wrong or bad. It's like, okay, well, let's say I agree with you. So what? So what do atheists believe in? And they kind of focus on the pro side of all that stuff. Here's what we do support. Environmental concerns, LGBTQ rights, whatever it is. Um, So, I mean, anti. there's a lot of overlap between atheists and anti-theists, but like, being an anti-theist by itself, I just, I don't know where you go with that. I don't know what people are doing with that other than like screaming on an internet forum somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think actually it's good to hear you say that because I honestly think if more, uh, you know, religious or non-religious, if people spent more time focused on the things they did care about, the things that they, they were, you know, the positive things that they cared about, rather than all the negative things, we might actually realize we have a lot more in common with one another. And then we can yeah. find common ground and sort of like, okay, great. You you don't believe in God. I do. Let's try to help, help people who are homeless or sure. let's try and, to improve education or the environment or things like that. And all of that is good. And none of it says you can't debate or discuss your differences. And you're not saying that's even not important. It's saying, okay, well, those debates are probably not going to go away anytime soon. But is there anything that can bring us together? Because when you have those usually different sides, people assume you're antagonists, but you're fighting together for the same cause. I think, isn't it right that uh, there were two lawyers during the 2000 elections, like one for the George... Uh, W. Bush side, one for the Al Gore side. But both of them said, we're going to work together for, was it marriage equality or something like that? Uh, um, uh, LGBTQ rights. They both said, we're on the same side of this issue and we're speaking out in favor of it. And the reason that had any sort of impact, if it did, is because they're saying, look, you normally think of us as political antagonists, but on this issue, we are united. And so let us say that, even with the vaccine now, You have like different presidents or different politicians saying, let's get the vaccine on camera. Why? Because maybe it'll convince people who think you can't trust the other side. But if you have enough people doing it in front of a camera, maybe they'll get over their concerns. So whenever you have different sides teaming up and saying this is an issue that matters to both of us, more people might pay attention because they assume you just oppose everything everyone else stands for. I can't wait to sign something with you. Uh, I'm right on. In solidarity uh, with the sentiment. I'm right there with you. And we want to know uh, what you're working on now, where people can find you. Let me give an, um, let me take a moment to plug your latest article at the time when we're recording that's on Pathios, because I couldn't say more good things about this headline. God's Not Dead for a film no one asked for will be <laughs> filming next month. <laughs> it's happening. Yes. 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 
does does not needed. It's not needed. So I totally holy, agree. So everyone needs to read that. And <laughs> holy quadrilateral! It's happening. Oh my gosh! So yeah, tell us um, tell us what you're working on now. Um, you know, how people can find you? What they may be yeah, interested. Yeah, friendlyatheist.com is the bulk of the work I do. So it's a lot of articles about religion. Um, and so if you go to friendlyatheist.com, you could see those articles. The thing I've probably been spending a surprising amount of time on recently is YouTube and talking about the issues that I think no one else is necessarily talking about on YouTube, um, at least when it comes to the atheist space. So uh, if you go to YouTube and search for Friendly Atheist, you'll find my stuff there. But that's been kind of just a change of pace. It's not sitting in front of a computer. It's it's talking about these things that may or may not get discussed otherwise, or at least in what I hope is an explanatory way. It's not jargony. It's something that you don't have to understand anything about religion, but you can hear me and hopefully it'll make sense to you. Perfect. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah, sounds great. All right. Well, I, I'm, ex I'm excited that you came on here to, uh, to promote your new film, God's Not Dead 4. <laughs> and uh, looking forward to that. Can't wait. Yes. <laughs> is Kurt Cameron the star? Uh, they they have not announced the cast. I'm kind of wondering who is in this one because they have a, a mix of their like quote unquote celebrities who appear in multiple films. Like Stop the last one had the last one had the guy from Sex and the City. Um, Wait, which guy from Sex and the uh, City? John Corbett, uh, who's oh, in my big no. wedding. Yeah, oh, oh, wow. I like John Corbett. Yeah. But the ones before that had Hercules, Kevin Sorbo, and it, right. uh, and the second one had Melissa Joan Hart. You know, and so they no. have, they no. have those where, like where's Stephen Baldwin in all of this? <laughs> right, they no, have those like C-list stars yeah. in those movies. But then don't call John Corbett C-list, right? I, whatever, which whichever list he's on, but then they also have a totally random group of people. I'm pretty sure the way they're going with that franchise is we're just gonna make a bunch of movies um, that have nothing to do with anything, and maybe we'll have one recurring character so we can pretend like they're in the same cinematic universe. But really, it's just append God Not's Dead in front of whatever you actually wanted the movie to be about, and that's yeah. The new we need movie. to have a segment called "We Watch So You Don't Have To." Oh, yeah. You'd be surprised how many of those already exist for Christian movies. Like, you know, they, they, they have to get all these Christians to spend money on movies that they, they're they not spending money on in regular secular movies, right? They got to figure out a yeah. way to separate them from their money. Right. So there you go. And what's going to happen when you can't even go like in a church group to see this stuff in a theater? Like you think, I mean, I'm wondering their marketing decision here. Like you really think people are going to stream this stuff at home? Uh, yeah, TBT yeah. will pick it up. It's okay. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I love I love film too much to expose myself to that kind of crap. So. Keep your standards high, Keith. I like yes. it. Yes. All right, I kind of got us off track, but <laughs> thank you so much for the conversation. And we'll we'll put the thank friendly APS in the show notes. Okay, all right. thanks a lot. Thanks. All. Thank you. Wow, that was so great, um, man. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. And you know, isn't it isn't it odd? Like we can have a, an atheist on the podcast and just get along and laugh and have a great time and agree on so many things. But like we would probably not be able to do that with someone like John Piper, Arthur, you know, like someone who supposedly, uh, you know, we share some of our faith with. It's really odd. But anyway, it was a great conversation. Thanks so much for being our guest. I've always found that interesting. There's certain people that it doesn't matter what camp they're in. Like you just you're going you're, you're trying to do the same things in life and you have the same approach and you just don't happen to agree on God. But it, it turns out like. That's not even that big of a deal because Hemet is like, like, I feel like we're like coming at things at the same angle, but we're coming to the same different conclusions. And like you said, like 
could definitely have a conversation with him way before someone like resurrect John Edwards from the dead. I mean, I don't think it's going to go so well, you know? <laughs> well, that fits in perfectly with our topic today. Maybe we could resurrect him. Well, maybe we could, Katie. And you're going to have to be the one that that helps us uh, talk about that because we're talking about metaphysics today. And the way I understand metaphysics, maybe as a, a little bit different than how you're going to be describing it. So I, the way I understand it, it's like abstract thinking about being or beingness and knowledge. And, but what we're talking about is a little bit different than that. So do you want to kick us off, Katie? Well, yeah, we can talk about it any way that we want. I'm going to show you the way I talk about it. And this is coming um, from a, someone that called in, I think in the very first episode or maybe the second episode of the Clobber series, one of our guest callers who were going to requested the topic. And so thank you, guest caller. Um, it was the, um, I think the woman from Australia. Yeah. Who had requested this. And so um, my, so I run a Facebook group called the metaphysical Christian. And the thing I do in life primarily uh, these days is help Christians, um, help Jesus followers connect to metaphysical practices and not have to choose do I have to choose Jesus and my faith or can I choose these these practices, these other ways of being? So I'm not going so much the Aristotelian kind of philosophical approach that Matt talked about. That's a totally legitimate way to define metaphysics. What I'm talking about is all the stuff that doesn't quite have a box, um, things that people experience that are outside of that, quote unquote, the church box or the what we perceive to be the Jesus box. Um, so it, things that are not part of the non-physical world, at least as we perceive the physical world, um, that are to me and to those that I serve very real. So angels, energy, intuition, um, chakras, uh, past lives, of course, you know, kind of run the gamut. So that's how I'm defining metaphysics. But what everyone else is, you know, Keith and Derek, what are your what, what are your first instincts around the topic? Um, I have seen, I guess, when I when I was. We know this topic came up in our in our uh, series, Clopper series, that we were going to deal with this topic. I guess I assumed it was probably more like that, like, you know, more new age stuff, maybe crystals. I know a lot of Christians and a lot of postmodern or not postmodern deconstructed Christians, uh, I've noticed, are moving into like witchcraft and uh, those kinds of things. And, you know, as as someone who was a Southern Baptist, you know, when I see someone uh, kind of posting those things. It is kind of like this weird, like, what? Like, how did you ever, how did you get from sort of like your Christianity and you deconstructed some things and now, now all of a sudden you're, you're doing some, like some witchcraft stuff. Like I, I kind of, I mean, I don't get it. So uh, I'm, I'm here to learn, <laughs> help me understand all these kind of things. Cause I think there are, um, there are these verses, right? There are these trigger things that we were all told from the pulpit, right? You know, the Ouija boards and the seances and, um, you know, witchcraft and any of these kind of things, we should stay away from them. It's going to lead us into darkness and we're going to end up becoming possessed by demons and all kinds of scary things, uh, that we're told. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's something that I'm not that personally familiar with and I haven't gotten that deep into it. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of here to listen and learn. I think that, um, when we start talking about spirituality in a broader sense, um, when we get beyond the box, somebody mentioned the box, getting beyond the box of Christianity and start looking at other avenues of spirituality. In other words, I, I believe that there's actual 
I don't, I don't, I don't want to say physical power in things like crystals and stones or what have you, but I believe that they, they can be used as a touchstone to enhance a spiritual experience. And me personally, when I, when I think of things like Reiki, um, or, um, chakras or all of these things that, that, um, when we, when we talk about psychic energy and things like that, you, you, there, there are all kinds of physical things like ley lines and geography and, and all of that. I really believe that there's something to all of that. And, and I really believe that Jesus, our dude, is the epitome of the metaphysical. Hey! I was waiting for <laughs> say, say more. Say what way? Why do you think that? You think he was uh, tapping into some of this kind of energy and spirituality? I, I think that he was. I think that there that there was power in in places. I think that there was power in in people's understanding. I when you know, for example, the centurion comes to Jesus and says, "Can you heal my servant?" and and Jesus is like, "Yeah, okay, let's go to him. Let's make let's go ahead and make him whole." And the dude is like, "No, no, 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 no." See, I'm a, I'm a man under authority, and I see that you're under some authority, and I see that I, I'm not really fit to have you come into my space. But I'm going to trust that you say something, and the something that you say is going to be transformative. And, and, and I really believe that when Jesus said, I have not seen such great faith, I think that he was actually speaking to the metaphysical connection that had been established at that point between Jesus and the centurion. And it was that metaphysical connection that released some energy that caused the servant to be healed. So you you say that, and I almost hear Christians rebutting with all the clobber passages, since we're in the clobber passage series, all the passages about kind of against the kind of practices that we're talking about. And and I'm I'm just going to guess Katie, that you've faced these questions from Christians dealing in the work that you do. Uh, well, what about this passage? What about this passage? What about these warnings in the Bible? Because I, I heard them too. The only one I really heard was yoga. Don't do yoga because they all got names and all those names, the moves that you do have a demon attached to it and yada, yada, yada. And I'm sure you heard that. You guys are laughing. So I know you've all heard those ones, but what what do you do with that, Katie? When when those are, I mean, I kind of, I, I have a guess, but right. Well, yeah. So there's, um, the, you know, the specific verses that come up a lot are "suffer not a witch to live," right? So kill, so kill them. Yeah. I think that's what they're drowning. I mean, right. So we we've seen we've seen the damage that this has done through um, probably tens of thousands, probably maybe maybe more than that, maybe hundreds of thousands, especially of women. Um, so it's a very gendered. Um, critique and very gendered use of verses often um, when these get when these clever passages get thrown um, at people. But that's a that's a one popular one. Um, from Leviticus 19, there's like five kind of in a row, like 20 verses 26 through 31. You shouldn't practice augury or witchcraft. Don't turn to mediums or wizards. Um, and then there's a few other passages too that get in the mix. So the witch, quote unquote, or the medium or the woman, we don't really know how to translate that word at indoor. And then uh, Simon Magus in the Book of Acts and uh, the Enslaved Girl in the Book of Acts. Um, so there's a there's a lot there. 
So, you know, my basic approach, as always with scripture, is that face value doesn't really work um, because we're again, we're cherry picking. We're taking, you know, verses that have a very particular time and context and lifting them out. And we're assuming that whatever word we translate as witch actually translate or medium or wizard or sorcery translates to something that we understand that to be today. You know, so at at one hand, we have like all the um, kind of cancel culture around Harry Potter, right? Like I know a lot of parents who wouldn't let their kids watch or read Harry Potter, not because J.K. Rowling is is horrific about trans rights, um, but because this was witchcraft. You know, and at the other hand, at the other hand, people have a lot of really instilled fear um, that family members of their kids or whatever are are going to, like Matt said, invite some kind of demonic energy um, into their lives. Um, So as always with scripture, my invitation to everyone is, Let's read and get curious rather than think that we can interpret a verse right off of the page. So I encourage people to go a little deeper and find out what's behind the text that's being said. Yeah, that's I think that's super helpful, Katie. And, you know, this is actually one of those problems. And we we have bumped up to against this kind of a thing so many times in the podcast. Like anytime you look at you point to Old Testament passages and you read things, I mean, again, sort of like the, the Old Testament solution, quote unquote, for homosexuality is kill them. Uh, the, the solution for somebody, you know, from another country and in another nation is kill them. The, uh, the reaction to anybody who has another point of view in the Old Testament is kill them. Well, OK, so hopefully today we, we've moved on from there. We're not like, hey, let's go cock a shotgun and go kill somebody because they don't agree with me. Um, hopefully we've moved on. From there. And so if we have sort of realized, okay, this is some Old Testament law and the way they wanted to pass laws against, you know, in our nation, we don't allow blah, 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 fine. But we live in 2021 now. And um, we don't, we don't just kill people because we disagree with them anymore. At least I hope not. Uh, We wouldn't at least, we wouldn't say that was a solution to disagreement. Um, Hopefully again, yeah, we can, we can take a little bit more of an objective posture, but, but so like to your point, Katie, help us understand then like how, how should we approach the practice of some of these things? And then I guess I'm curious, I would just want to ask you, are there some of these practices that you personally would say these aren't good, or maybe these are not healthier or something like that? Or in your opinion, would they be like, no, these are all maybe neither good nor bad. Maybe it just depends on who's practicing them and, and why they're practicing them. Right. So yeah, that's, thanks. That's a great way to phrase that. Um, so, you know, how do we approach other spiritual practices? So my, I'm curious, what makes them other? What makes, well, a sh- you know, what makes a chakra other? Well, because what? it's not in the Bible. It's, you know, right. Moses didn't talk about it. Jesus okay. didn't talk about it. It's not in, you know, Okay. Not so, that, you know, in that case, um, whenever I go to church, we turn on lights and those are also not in the Bible. What? I know. Amazing. Are smoke machines in the Bible, right? Lasers, smoke machines. Disco Maybe. Balls. I don't know. There's a lot of burning bushes and stuff. You can make a case, <laughs> but the, you know, so for me, it's, you know, for me, particularly not, not being in the Bible is not really the criteria. Um, but it's, is this of God? Um, is this helping me be, um, is this helping me be a better Jesus follower? So that my basic criteria is, does this help me um, get closer to Christ or not? And I tell all the people I work with, if anything I'm suggesting to you does not help you do that, disregard it, move on. I'm not offended. Angels aren't offended. No one's offended. If it's not going to help you, don't do it. Um, and so, you know, do I prohibit anything? Um, so for me personally, because I am a Christian, um, I don't, 
pray in anyone else's name. So I don't, if, if anything has like for me, like I have, I have friends and colleagues who kind of invoke, I guess, other deities and I don't have a problem with that for their own spiritual journey. But like for me personally, I don't do that. Um, partly because I'm a monotheist and I believe God is God. Um, and that, that's the name by which I call God. And again, if other people see God in other expressions and other names, uh, no harm, no foul. But, you know, for, for me, um, I'm calling only on what I understand to be the God and Christ presence in the world. So I don't have a particular practice that I would just eliminate, but it's more the way we do it. Kind of like church and Christianity in general. There's a lot of kind of churches I just can't even walk into because I do not do well, worship, I, their energy does not match my energy. Yeah. Well, for me, it's like I look at results. I'm a results-driven person. And if I see someone getting results from what they do and these results don't happen at the expense of anyone else, then I'm like, good on you, mate. Keep it up. Because the the I think that the problem is, is that I think there's a certain spiritual jealousy involved in mainstream Christianity that when they've been practicing something for hundreds or thousands of years with absolutely zero result, and then someone shows up with yoga, with chakras, with Reiki, with feng shui, and and they're getting results. They're seeing something tangible, real affecting their lives in a positive way that's not harming anyone else. That, to me, it's like, this this is part of my, uh, I don't know, my my rejection of religion. Because when when, there are are people out here that are doing things and they're getting results, they're seeing a positive, impactful change in their lives, in their communities. It has absolutely nothing to do with anything biblical or anything Christian. But because it's not biblical or Christian, the Christian community gets jealous and tries to kill it. And, you know, I have so many clergy colleagues, it's interesting, who um, have like Reiki clinics in their churches and who have like yoga in their churches. So there's, um, it, within progressive Christian communities, there's a lot of um, adaptation, I think, of these practices, which may be helpful, may be helpful for some people who are um, struggling with this. I think Derek brings up a good point about like the like the spiritual jealousy sort of thing. I mean, there might be something to that. And I and I think it's one of the reasons why this whole clobber passage approach is such bullshit and is even condemned in in the Bible that they're using to clobber people. It's like all this stuff about do not judge. You know, worry about the plank in your eye, not the speck in another's. It's like when we're so focused on, oh, they're doing yoga over there. Those people, the Bible says, no, you can't do that. It's like, aren't you missing the entire point of the Bible when you're using the Bible in this way? Exactly. And 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 isn't it something about like maybe it's something in your own life that's missing that you wanna you wanna go out and condemn something because then then you could at least define yourself by what you're not. Well, I'm not one of those hellbound yoga practitioners, or I'm not one of those weird new age whatever. You could say what you're not, and it's like. Man, and that's just, I, I don't know. I, I probably say the same thing every episode on the Clobber Passage because it's just like, this is the wrong approach and it's entirely to miss the point. Well, one thing that I want to throw out too is that if you are taking the Bible literally and using your literal interpretation 
to bash someone else while casually glossing over things that might be fucked up in your own realm. <laughs> I, you know, I just personally, I, I me, me personally, I say take the authoritative moniker off the Bible. Thank you. And if we if we could get to that, yes, then then we could then we could see scripture for what it really is. That there is there there are some good things to learn from. There are some good lessons. There are some things that we can uh, invoke in our lives. It might make sense, assuming that they are done from the posture of love. But that ain't mainstream Christianity. So they that your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Yeah, not, not generally. Yeah. So I thank you, Derek, for saying that. So I do think that is one of the pro- that's one of the hangups. Right. I think this is anybody who is using a clobber passage is using it because they are convinced the Bible has some sort of authority. And that's what gives it the weight to be some sort of a stick to against somebody or right, to beat them with. Um, and the more we could just kind of take a step back from that and say. Um, we're so hung up on this idea of authority, this authority. And, and again, authority is always a way to like control and manipulate, of course. And usually the, the, uh, the methods are fear and shame and guilt, right? Um, I would love for us to reach a place where we could just move away from that and just say like, you know what? Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow myself to be controlled by those things, by fear and shame and guilt anymore. And if someone's going to use the Bible to try and put those things on me, I'm just not going to go there. I'm just not going to take it. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not there. I mean, there are good things in the Bible. Sure. There's like there's good things in Lord of the Rings and there's good things in lots of things, uh, nature and poetry and music and all kinds of stuff. And to the degree that it helps me, not kind of to your point, Derek, to the degree that it works, to the degree that it helps me, it gives me a measure of a measure of freedom or joy or peace or whatever relief from anxiety and fear and all these things results then, then go for it absolutely don't have they need like well hold on maybe i shouldn't be enjoying this because it's either not in the bible or someone is telling me that the bible is telling me that if i do it i'm gonna be damned or cursed or some stupid thing yeah i, I just i would love to see us move beyond that very uh well again it's a, it's about authority and it's still very very uh this authority kind of idea behind the bible I wish we'd move away from that. I'm I'm curious, um, Katie, of the clobber passages that are used, what is your favorite one, and and tell us what it really means. Ah, okay, so if we if I get to, if I get to tell you what I think it really means, um, let's look at the the quote unquote witch at Endor, because when we look at that, we can also look a little bit at some of the passages in like Leviticus uh, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, because the words are similar. Wait, can I stop you there? Endor as in Star Wars? Oh, yeah, the Ewoks. That's where the Ewoks live. I love that. No, Derek. Derek, you know what it's really from. (laughs) No, you know what? Uh, Endor is uh, Samantha's mother, Endora. Endora, you get it? Bewitched. Endora from Bewitched, exactly. Derek, I was completely thinking about you last night because I'm finally watching WandaVision. Ah, And this 60th episode, I was like, just in time for this uh, indoor Andorra connection. So, (laughs) yes, exactly. Um, So this takes place in 1 Samuel 28. And uh, the mad king Saul has driven out all the, and it depends on what translation you use, mediums and wizards or sorceresses and witches or some, some like two groups of people from the land. And then as he's going through the land, he says... 
Is there any woman that we can call on or any, any medium? Uh, it's kind of a, implied it'll be a, a woman. Uh, is there a woman who's a medium that we can call who will help me? And they find one who apparently wasn't driven out of the land. So this witch, medium, sorceress, whatever the word is that we're going to call her. So let me stop right there. The fact that our translations yeah. are so uneven gives us a really good idea that we don't have a very clear job description <laughs> of this Hebrew word. Um, the Hebrew word is used in a couple of other places. It is used in, I believe it's the passage from Deuteronomy. Uh, yeah, it's used in Leviticus 19.31. Um, and it seems to have something to do with the dead. I think words like necromancer are probably not quite appropriate. Um, medium is probably not quite appropriate because that's a very modern, um, you know, very constructed kind of modern concept, but it's someone who does something like in the spiritual world with dead souls. And so they get to this medium or this, whatever, you know, this, this woman in indoor and she's plainly terrified and I don't blame her because the soul king has driven out all the people in her profession from the land, but somehow she has stayed. So again, we have this very gender dynamic going on in the story. Well, he says, you need to call up Samuel. And you know what? She does. She calls up Samuel. And then Samuel spends all of his time telling Saul how stupid and foolish he is. Um, and then when when Samuel kind of, when his spirit goes away, he says to the woman, can you cook something for us? And then she cooks something for him. Uh, and then they kind of go on their merry way. This is actually not a story at all about sorcery. It's not a story about mediumship. Um, it's a story about people who have been expelled from the land, I think rather unfairly, and it's the story of the devolution of Saul in preparation for the great kingship of David. Um, and so it's a story, I think, about the hypocrisy of Saul. Interestingly, and from my perspective in the story, nowhere is this woman ever um, chastised. Nowhere does Samuel turn to her and say, how could you, you're dealing in necromancy, you shouldn't be doing this. He saves all of his attention for the bad king. So I think this is a story actually about the bad king, not at all uh, about, this, about the woman. You know, when we kind of go back to the, the places in Leviticus where this word is used, I think the author of Leviticus is serious when he says, don't consult with this profession of people. But they, they never, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you know, Exodus, none of those passages ever say what it is that they're doing. So obviously the, um, I don't know if it's obvious, but it's, it seems um, likely that the, they, they thought that the audience understood whatever this profession is, but we don't actually have kind of access to what, um, what they were doing. So there, thereby is my interpretation. What do you, what's your thoughts? Let me throw something out here real quick. This um, verse three, it says that Saul expelled the mediums and wizards. Okay, stop right there. How did he know whom to expel? Seriously, I'll tell, I'll tell you how he knew. He expelled people that were getting results. <laughs> People that were actually they were actually demonstrating some ability because you can't identify someone who's doing nothing. Okay, so he's expelling people who are getting results. But then when when life throws him a curveball, he says, seek out for me a woman who is a medium. Stop. Now I need somebody who's getting me results. I need somebody to help me. Uh, or, or, or to, to exercise their ability on my behalf. So it's it, this is really a, a story in hypocrisy because 
based on my religious beliefs, I'm going to expel everyone who's getting results not like mine. Then he says, I want someone who's getting these results to do something for me on my behalf. Patent religious hypocrisy here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so that's a great point, too, about, I mean, that's kind of almost a shocking thing about that past, that that story in in the Old Testament, because, um, I mean, she goes to this woman and it works. He says, bring me, you know, bring me this prophet of Samuel, right? And, and, but then then here, there he is like, oh, holy crap, it worked. (laughs) And, uh, and now Samuel like chews him out, like you said. Um, so I, I guess. There's the, there's the side of it of like, okay, there are those who really genuinely have this ability, this talent, whatever it happens to be, skill that they've developed, uh, or whatever it happens to be, that somehow they, they can connect with the dead. They can give you messages from people who have passed on and all that. But can I just say, um, and I'm not discounting that there are, that, that people like that aren't real. I mean, I put this in the category of, for example, when I was involved in, in, in the charismatic church, there were people who genuinely had words of knowledge that were dead on, like only God could have told them. There's no how, there's no possible way they could have known these things. I've experienced that from people. However, I've also seen with my own eyes and experienced with my in, in my own life people who think they have, or they were trying to convince you or me that they have this ability, and it's it's bullshit, basically. And so uh, I think I see the same thing in this category as well. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever watched Darren Brown. I love Darren Brown. He's on Netflix. He has a show called Miracles. I recommend to watch it if you haven't watched it. And Darren Brown is someone who using all kinds of techniques, hypnosis. Um, he just read, knows how to read body language, um, auto-suggestion, all kinds of things he's developed, the skills he's developed. And he, uh, in this Netflix special, for example, he calls people out of the audience and he does these amazing readings about your dead aunt. He knows their name, the kind of dog they owned. He, he calls out all these specific things. But even as he's doing it, he's looking in the camera and saying, by the way, I am not receiving this information from spirits. I am not in connection with their actual dead grandma or aunt or brother or son or whatever. These are techniques and skills that you could learn. I could teach them to you. They're not spiritual things. And his whole point in kind of exposing these sort of spiritists and people that will talk to the dead is that, and I think this is his own personal mission. He's upset about the fact that people will, people know how to fake it in such a way to basically prey on those who have lost loved ones. Like my son died, my mother died, my husband died, my wife died. They go to see a spiritist and then using some of these techniques, these people will like basically drain them, drain their bank account dry uh, to keep getting messages from beyond. And, oh, your son says this and your mother says that and you're, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, he's trying to expose that, hey, there are people that are, sort of charlatans, you need to watch out for them. Um, And so, again, I don't point that out to say that it's all fake. I don't think it's all fake. I do think there are some legitimate people who actually do. But uh, um, I'm curious what you think about that, Katie. Do you you recognize that? Do you think that's true? Or should we be careful? Are some people sort of using, um, kind of preying on people's desire and need? Sure, it's true Uh, in any field. Yeah. yeah, in any field, you have you have legit people who are authentic and out to provide um, you know their services, and then you have you know you have charlatans. Um, and so, in my in my other podcast, Magical Mystical Journeys, um, it's myself as kind of the Christian minister, metaphysical person, 
and then a, a colleague who's a shamanic practitioner and then one who's a psychic medium. And so, yeah, she's definitely the real deal. I mean, you should go, if, if anyone's seeking out this service, I think it's best not to do it from a place of intense, fresh grief. Wait yeah. and start to work through some of your grief uh, on a little bit on your own. So you're not quite so raw uh, when you go. Find someone who's been training. Find someone that you trust. Uh, find someone with a good reputation. You know, I'm uh, happy to put the show notes, you know, my, my friends, colleagues, uh, information. Um, yeah, and that person, you, they should not be booking you for tons and tons of sessions. They should book you for one. And that one should be very satisfactory for you to be able to go back. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, sure, there's fraudsters out there uh, as with anything, but um, this is, you know, people who are working at literally at the soul level to provide healing experiences to and they're, and they're facilitating healing experiences. If you're not having a healing experience after having been to someone, then they're probably not the best fit. Yeah. And that's good. I mean, again, I, I don't, I really don't bring this up to, I'm not trying to cast any sort of doubt on, on the practice. I, I, I just want to say it to, as if nothing else for our listeners to say, um, if you do, as with anything, as we said, it could be, again, it could be somebody at your local vineyard church. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be somebody who's like professionally setting themselves up as a, as a psychic or someone that, that is a spiritist or something like that. I just think it's, it's good to have a healthy dose of skepticism and say, okay, is this legit? Is this real? Is this something that I think is, uh, you know, is this, this person really able to do this? Uh, or not, and just to be careful about this kind of thing. So anyway, what uh, Keith has said is exactly why I do the work that I do, which is to say, all of this is energy, and it is like Christian. <laughs> you know, yeah. Some churches call it words of knowledge, words of power. You know, yeah. others uh, others might call it psychic mediumship. Others don't have a word for it; they just know it when they experience it. And like all yeah. the words that we use don't matter. You know, I, I tend to present this without a lot of dogma or doctrine to help each person find their own inner truth. Um, but we're all talking about the same God energy and how is it expressed? How is it yeah. expressed in the world? And that's what I love. That's when that light bulb can go off for people. That's what I love like more than anything. Results. Yeah. Results. <laughs> if, there, if, if it isn't, if there are not real tangible results, it's all tantamount to spiritual masturbation. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess we're going we're gonna to end on that, but I know we're going to keep this thing rolling in just a little bit for our Patreon subscribers, but Keith and Katie will get to that. I'm here to tell everyone, well, let me first remind everyone that it is April Foolishness, Kindle copies of Choir Books on 99 cents if you click the link in the show notes. Also, speaking of books, all of our Heretic Happy Hour guests are Heretics of the Week, well, most of them, those who have written books and those who we can get it on our bookstore. We have a bookstore. If you go to heretichappyhour.com, you are going to save 15%, give or take, on most titles. You're also going to support the show. So if you heard a guest in the past and you just love them, check out our heretichappyhour.com bookstore and see if their book is there and pick it up today. Um, I'm looking forward to this bonus round because I'm going to talk about like divinatory practices in the Bible Ooh. that actually do support like some of the some of the metaphysical practices that may be in the back of listeners' minds. Uh, listeners, we'd also love to have you in Heresy After Hours. It's a free Facebook group open to anyone who's um, interested in experiencing the process of religious deconstruction and reconstruction. So join us over there. Over 2,000 people in that group asking all sorts of snappy questions. Uh, we also have a Facebook group exclusively privately for only patrons uh, patrons in our patreon group 
So we'd love to have you in there too. Absolutely. And for everyone who is a supporter of the podcast on Patreon, we love you. We thank you so much. It means so much to us that you would um, love our podcast and what we're doing so much that you would financially um, support us on a monthly basis, whether it's $2, $10, $25, whatever, um, all of it means so much. And that's why we go the extra mile for you guys. We love recording bonus interview footage, bonus podcasts, conversations, and lots more uh, just to make sure you know how much we appreciate it. So go to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour, become a patron. Uh, You will also unlock at any level, you will unlock access to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, Facebook group. Um, but depending on what tier you're at, you can get free PDFs, you get um, you know extra like video stuff and conversations and things like that. It's, it's awesome. Go check it out. And the minute you become a member, you're going to unlock so many great, amazing uh, things already there for you to enjoy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Keith. And if you enjoy this podcast, please go out to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And in the interest of April Foolishness, with your five-star rating, we will send you your very own Heretic Happy Hour Flying Room. (laughs) Asterix, we may not actually send you a room or anything else. (laughs) To clarify, we definitely will not. It's non-physical. In the interest of April Foolishness, you get it? April Fools. April Fools. April Fools, yes. Thank you. It's it's not real. Right. My 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 movie is real. Yeah.